Brought to you by WakeMed Heart and Vascular. Your heart, your choice. Visit wakemed.org to find a WakeMed Heart and Vascular expert near you. Welcome to the WREL Daily Download. I'm your host, Amanda Lamb. In today's conversation with local author, Dr. Rebecca Jackson, we're talking about her new book, Back on Track. In it, she focuses on how to support children in achieving developmental milestones, something that's especially important after the learning setbacks many kids experienced during the pandemic. And this isn't just about young children. It covers the gamut from birth through the teenage years. Dr. Jackson, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Can I call you Rebecca? Please do. Okay, awesome. And so first, tell us about your background in child development and, you know, what led you to write this book? Sure. My original background was as a chiropractor. So I was a chiropractor in private practice for a decade and always found myself gravitating to learning more about neurology. And as a young parent, I wanted to know what could I do to maximize and optimize my kids' growth and development beyond singing songs and and playing patty cake. I wanted to know about the brain. And that led me to Brain Balance. So I've been um, the chief program officer at Brain Balance. I've been with the company now for 15 years, and we're a program that focuses on what you can do to strengthen and change pathways in the brain to minimize challenges. So it's more than just tutoring or something like that. It, It goes beyond that. Absolutely. Tutoring is a great approach when you're struggling to retain the content. But there's a bigger picture than that. If development isn't on track, it makes learning more difficult. So if we can go back and strengthen the brain, the child or student will learn more naturally. And oftentimes that that negates the need for tutoring. And obviously everybody learns differently. I mean, I'm a visual learner. I'm also somebody that needs to do something in order to get it. Um, if you just show me something, I, I, I actually have to do it. So clearly the pandemic had a major impact on child development on so many different levels. I mean, academically, socially, emotionally. What can parents do now to, to work on those setbacks? You know, it's such an important thing to understand that the brain is malleable and changeable. And the beauty is, especially in our kids, our kids are so resilient and their brains pick up and learn and change and adapt really quickly. But the pandemic lessened our exposure to sensory experiences, to social experiences, and that lessened exposure had an impact on development. So now we have an opportunity to step in and fill in those gaps by providing purposeful exercise and activities and revisiting those networks and pathways in the brain that weren't used as much for a lot of kids during that pandemic time. And obviously, we don't tell them what we're doing. We just do it, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they're kids, right? We want to keep this playful. We want to keep it fun. But we can be really intentional in the activities that we're doing that ultimately strengthen and improve the brain. Okay, great. Well, we will talk more about that after the break. Welcome back to the WREL Daily Download. So we talked a little bit off mic when my 23-year-old was six months old. She had bacterial meningitis, and obviously that severely affects the brain. Um, We were really thankful that she survived, but they told us, you know, we don't know what the prognosis is in terms of her development. So she was enrolled in a Wake County program for critically ill children to record her milestones And they took her through that program until she was 18 months old. And I remember there were very specific things they were looking for to make sure she was on track. Thankfully, she was able to meet those milestones. But, you know, not every child is in that situation. 
so tell us what are some of the things that you look for that parents can look for to say, hmm, my child might not be on track. I might need more help. Those milestones are so critical. There are benchmarks and guideposts along the way to say this early development is on track. And that early development is the foundation that leads to our higher level functions, our ability to pay attention, to regulate our mood and emotions, to control our impulsivity. And so as a parent, just watching your child you, nobody knows your child better than you. So that gut instinct of if you see your child melting down more frequently, needing more time to complete homework or not finishing their tasks at school, if there's something that appears different from your other children or from peers, that can be a red flag that one or more of those milestones might be slightly off track. And that's not a time to panic. That's knowledge and information that can guide you down a path to help and support the outcomes. And I'm assuming your book talks about what some of these are. I mean, they may be physical milestones, walking, for example, holding a fork, uh, language milestones, speaking, responding, things like that. And then emotional, you know, being able to handle stressful situations. Absolutely. And honestly, I wrote the book that I wished I had as a parent because there's so much information out there about what milestones look like through age two or what motor milestones look like. But we don't talk about what is appropriate social emotional development in a 15-year-old. What is typical anxiety and when is it time to worry? So that's one of the things that we really dig into the book is looking at what milestones look like from birth through age 18, not just until age two, and in learning, emotions, relationships, anxiety, how we handle stress and upsets, looking at a broader range of those milestones to help you identify when things are on track and when it's time to look a little bit more closely. So how much of our children's development is biological and how much can we change with nurture and with some of these techniques? both, all of the above. Um, and, you know, our, our environment and our genetics absolutely provide us an initial foundation. But what we know now about con cognition and the brain is that it is changeable. It is fluid and flexible. So that's where those really intentional, purposeful activities can turn the dial to maximize what's there in front of you. So it is a combination of genetics and environment, as well as what we're able to do to maximize. And I know, you know, parenting is on-the-job training. Um, it was oftentimes we feel like we fall short of the mark. Give us just an example of something that you might do with your child to strengthen brain development. You know, two things that are critically important that are easy to overlook is the importance of physical activity and of sensory input. Our senses is what allows us to interact and engage with the world. And so if there's dysregulation in how we interpret sensory information, it can skew something as simple as the conversation I'm having with you. We're watching each other's facial expressions. We're listening. We're blocking out distractions. That depends on our sensory input to process that information correct. So making sure our kids have tons of sensory exposure that's frequent, varied, and becomes progressively more challenging is a way to simply exercise those pathways that provide us that crucial information that allows us to learn both academically and socially. And then I can't say enough about the importance of physical activity. It's not only for our overall physical health, but what movement and exercise does to engage the brain, it spikes increases in attention as well as memory. And so utilizing movement to leverage and optimize the brain when kids need to, to study or um, just be on their best behavior is really key. Yeah, both of my kids, you know, did sports at some point um, when they were growing up. And, you know, they were with me. I mean, they were in the, the baby Bjorn when I was walking. Then they were in the baby jogger. Then they were riding their bikes next to me and their scooters as I ran. So they kind of saw that and, and I hopefully modeled that. 
Um, one of my children really enjoys exercise. The other begrudgingly does it. <laughs> but they both see the value. So I, I, I think there's definitely something to that. You know, it feels like we live in such a stressful world now. I think all people are feeling that, adults, children. Um, and, and it's just harder, I think, to cope. And I think we're seeing a lot more anxiety and stress in younger and younger children. So I guess that's something that we really need to pay attention to and figure out ways to help them thrive. We do. We live in a very stressful world. And while we hope to never go through a pandemic experience again, we will face times of stress and change in our lives. And so understanding how stress and change drains resources from our brain, making it harder to regulate our mood and emotions is something that we need to carry forward with us beyond the pandemic. So to know what we can do to increase our threshold of what we can tolerate for our kids and ourselves strengthens the brain so we can more gracefully approach those times of stress to be more resilient, more effective, and less reactive to what's happening in the world around us. So the book is back on track. It is now available. Tell people where they can find it. Anywhere you buy books. So if you go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, any place you buy books, you'll be able to find the book. Sounds like something I could have used <laughs> 20 years ago. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. And thank you for listening to the WREL Daily Download. If you'd like to hear about more things to do, places to visit, and restaurants to enjoy in North Carolina, check out WREL Out and About, a weekly podcast from WREL News. Find WREL Out and About in your podcast app. As always, Thanks for listening to the WREL Daily Download.